All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Providence POV. I'm Joe Howie. I'm here with Peter DiBiase. As always, we're coming to you tonight with a fun one. Providence opens up conference play with a 72-57 win over the sixth-ranked Marquette Golden Eagles. I was at the game, Peter. I know you were watching at home. This was a, a hell of a fun game. Great atmosphere. A huge win to put Kim English and the Friars on the map nationally. But first and most importantly, Peter, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Much better after that awesome Friars win on Tuesday. I'm going to be completely honest with you, Joe, and everyone that is listening. I did not see that coming. Uh, if someone asked me to predict the game, I would have went with Marquette. Uh, if I was trying to be the most honest uh, person I could be, I would have went with Marquette. And I did not see a 15-point victory and holding Marquette to under 60. Just didn't see a color. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that one. I mean, even you know, off air, you and I were saying that we would be okay with a loss on tonight's episode if it was a close game because yeah. of how good Marquette is and has been this season. Um, and the result was was a 15-point beatdown. And honestly, if Providence made you know half of the free throws that they missed, it would have been a 20-point beatdown. So uh, th- this was a, a really commanding and, and convincing win. And I think it starts on the defensive end with Devin Carter. Um, I don't know if you listened to the post-game press conference, Peter, but um, originally Carter was tasked with Cam Jones. And he wanted Kolick. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Flip that. He was originally tasked with... Wait, am I getting this confused now? Did you watch the press conference? I did not. I get... Yes, okay. Carter was originally tasked with Tyler Kolick. Okay. So they put uh, Jaden Pierre on Cam Jones. They made an adjustment because uh, Devin Carter was in Cam English's ear that he wanted to flip. Then they moved Pierre off of Cam Jones, Carter onto Cam Jones, mm-hmm. and then Tyler Kolick started going off. So what did they do? They put Carter on Kolick, and they had Ticket and Corey Floyd split the defensive assignment of Cam Jones. Anyway, that's a lot of babbling, but the defensive adjustments, the, the long the long and short of that is the, the defensive adjustments by the coaching staff were terrific. Yeah, I completely agree. And look, offensively, they were good, 72 points. It probably, like you said, a minute ago, it probably should have been more. It should have been to the 80s. Uh, a couple threes fall. They make some free throws that you and I were texting about. And wanted to, I wanted to throw my phone across the room because I was yep. always afraid Marquette's so good offensively, they're going to make a run because of just missed free throws. And they never did, right? Look, you and I talked about this on this earlier in the week episode, how, look, they're led by their guards, right? They're a three-man show, obviously, Igadaro down low, but they're led by their guards. And they're – it's really tough to slow both down, right? And mm-hmm. you held Tyler Kolek. I know held is 21 points, and he still had a pretty good game. I, overall, I think he was uh, pretty good. But you made it tough for him. Uh, every time he got into the lane, it was one of – early on, he was really good. But then when he tried driving into the lane, it was – everything was physical, right? Like, there was no easy bucket. Like, if he was going to score going into the lane, he was going to deserve that those two points because he was going to earn it. So you yep. did that to Tyler Kolek, and you didn't – give up 31 points where it was like too many points. And then obviously Cam Jones, like Cam Jones, I think settled for too many threes. I think defensively we played him well five for 14. I know 13 points is solid, but when you go five for 14, I would kind of say we kind of slowed him down. And if you were able to slow one of those two down 
somewhat you had a great chance, right? Like if you let Cam Jones and Tower Cole go for 20 plus, you're gonna lose. Like it's simple as that. You are gonna you're you are going to lose this game. But you held Cam Jones to five for 14 shooting on 13 points, one for six from the three, and he had no assists and he had five turnovers. And fouls. you did a great job shutting down their second best player or their second best score. And you were able to hold them under 60 because of that. Like Tower Cole's going 21. That's good. But if Cam Jones doesn't do his thing, it's basically an empty 21 and credit to the defense on Cam Jones. It was awesome. And it probably the main reason the Friars won this game. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I forget where I saw it. It was probably Twitter, but someone wrote, right? Like, it, as long as we shut down either Tyler Kolick or Cam Jones, Providence is going to have a good chance of winning the game. Yeah. Um, and, and in the post-game press conference, Kim English even said, right, like Tyler, you know, tip of the cap to him. He had his own, like he got his own, he got his 21 points, but he made shots that Providence wanted him to take. So what Kim English said specifically is he scored on our terms, which means that Devin Carter forced him to go to his right a lot when he was driving to the cup. If Tyler made the shot, fine. If it was a contested jump shot, fine. But he, they were shots that he doesn't normally take that Providence forced him to take. Now, listen, Tyler Kolick's a hell of a player. He made the shots, fine. But Providence across the boards was sound enough defensively and really good offensively to make up for it. Um, while we're on the topic of Tyler Kolick, all I have to say about like the antics and the chest pounding is if you're going to do that on the road, you better, you know, get your team behind you to get you the win because doing like the, the chirping, the bench and waving to the crowd, mm -hmm. bumping your chest. Like if you're going to do that, you better be sure as hell that you're going to win the game yeah. because he was awfully quiet in the second half with all of the theatrics. Yeah. Look, I'm not the biggest Tyler Kolick fan, like his antics. But I'm going to be honest with you, he's a really good basketball player. Like, we all know that. And I'm not saying you didn't say that, Joe. I, I get what you're saying. Oh, yeah. 100% on that. And I agree. Like, the antics and all that stuff. And I get it. It's more of to maybe fire up his team, fire up him. And I get, like, why he has a little bit of a that animosity against Providence. And it's not Kim English, obviously. But it's obviously he's from Cumberland, which is 20 minutes down the road uh, from the school. And obviously, he wasn't really heavily recruited coming out of uh, high school. And obviously, Providence could have had him if they wanted to. And then obviously, he didn't go to Providence as he transferred to Marquette. So obviously, I get the rivalry there. It's it's cool. It's fun. It, it makes college basketball uh, interesting. But I agree. I think he was. I'm not a huge fan of the antics unless you back it up. And look, for the most part, I do. I think we did a great job with him in the second half. And I agree when when I said earlier that every point he got outside of a couple of the early threes were tough points, right? Like he goes into the lane, he scores a tough two over two defenders, like that credit to him. Like that's just a good shot. He's yep. a great player. It's going to happen. You're not going to stop him every single time. And look, you're not going to stop both of them every time. And I thought Cam Jones had an off shooting night. Uh, they didn't get much from uh, Ross, who was 0 for 7 from the field. Uh, I forgot. Chase Ross, thank you. I was going to call him Chris for a second. It's Chase Ross. <laughs> he was 0 for 7, right? Like so Cam Jones had a slightly subpar game and they didn't get really anything else uh, besides Iguodaro. Like, they didn't get much help scoring from the other guard, from the other guys off the bench. So it's basically a three-man show for Marquette, and I thought Providence played one of the best defensive performances of the season, maybe outside of Wisconsin, and I think this was probably better than Wisconsin's. And, Joe, we know this team. Like, even though you and I talked about 
through most of the games. We know this team's a really good defensive team. The problem is, like, some of those stats in non-convert just obviously inflated just because of the, some of the teams you play. And it's not the pro- it's not for the Friars' fault. It's just yep. it's the matter of fact of what it is. But when you go give up only 57 points uh, to one of the best offenses in the Big East and the country, it shows how good defensively is and also shows playing at home in the Big East, what an advantage. And I'm not saying that's the reason we won, Kim English said this in his, I think, press conference or his post-game talk with Fox Sports 1. Basically, I'm paraphrasing, but you got to take care of the home games, right? Those are the games you yep. have to win. And the Providence, credit to them over the years, have done a great job, obviously, of winning home games. But look, Joe, I know I'm going off a topic here, but we just saw Scene Hall beat UConn at Scene Hall. Like, winning games on the road in the Big East is virtually impossible on most nights. So yep. taking care of the home games is important. They took one care of one against Marquette, and obviously they have another home game against a pretty or a really good Butler team on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to conference play, the hope on paper is that you go ten and zero at home. You beat all opponents at home. Now, is that always going to happen? No. Um, I mean, if you look at last year, we were damn near close to perfect, but then um, the guy in the head coach's chair decided to check out in February. So. Uh, as long as you take care of business at home, you should be relatively mm-hmm. successful in the conference. Obviously, uh, you know, some teams come and are a force to, to be reckoned with. I think of like the Marquettes or the Yukons of the world. Ironically, they just lost on the road, but um, that's the important, that's why you play the games. Um, but I think that's a great point. You got to, you got to hold home court. Um, I was at the game and I, let me just tell you for a Tuesday night, eight thirty tip, that crowd was freaking awesome. I mean, what one student representation was fantastic. And saying this as a former student, I would come back and forth for games over winter break, but that was to be on the call for WDOM. But I never really saw anybody in the student section or in the stands the way that the students showed out to this Marquette game. Um, so it just shows you that the strides that the program has taken in the three years that I've been out, or uh, I was going to say we, but you're, you're younger, Peter, that I've been out of the program. Just three years ago, kids weren't doing that. And now they're, they're packing the stands for a, a December, a late December game over break. Um, but even the non-student adult season ticket holders were just fantastic. Um, the Anytime Providence got a big stop or made a big shot, it felt like the roof was going to blow off the building. And, um, Credit to FriarBasketball.com, Kevin Farhar. They do a great job over there, but credit them. There was a three-possession sequence, back-to-back Devin Carter threes, and then the Garway dual no-look pass to Hopkins. I couldn't hear myself think after that, and the the clip doesn't even do it justice, Peter. It was it was so loud in there. It yeah. felt like a it felt like a late February game. Yeah, and that's what threes kind of do in 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 hindsight. Like threes are. Threes and transition dunks, or even dunks in general, but mostly threes are huge. Obviously, momentum swings, it gets the crowd going, gets the bench going. Uh, and look, we know this Friars team likes to shoot the ball. Uh, they took 32 threes, and yeah. they made 11. And I thought some of them were good threes. I thought early on, and you didn't – I don't know if you saw this um, because you were at the game, but you know how they do that in – 
bunch of this but like you know how they so when they when they come out of like a tv timeout like or before and they have they go inside the sorry they go inside the coach's huddle right yeah and you get to see kim english talking uh this was early on in the game where we started off really slow from three right yeah and kim english basically said everyone like just forget about the crowd obviously the crowd's important but forget as a player forget about the crowd don't try to end this game in one possession what he basically meant is shooting too many quick transition threes, you're trying to end this game really fast. Like you're not gonna, because it's Marquette, it's a 40 minute game. But right. I do think we got better from the opening tip to the final uh, mid of the game, shooting threes. I think we kind of got our legs under ourselves a little. And I think Kim English was hundred percent right. I do think we were trying to end this game and use the crowd, which I hundred percent get. You want to use the crowd. Obviously you don't want to, try to get to your advantage while costing possessions. And there were some times where we took a couple threes. I, I love Devin Carter. And I think Devin Carter is an absolute stud. And he was five for nine from three. And he was really good. There were still like one or two threes. I was like, no need to take that. And he was still five for nine, which is a, so it's a good and a bad thing. Um, but we know we were going to shoot threes. It's that kind of recipe of a team. Uh, but ticket gains and Devin Carter were dynamic from three which is a great sign to see for both of them but some of the other guys a little bit up and down yeah and i i just want to go back to what you said about english in the huddle i love how even keeled he is with, with everything right yeah. like it's don't try and blow the don't try and win the game in one possession right like he's just so balanced in his approach like even on the sideline right like there are some intangibles and i'm sure you've already seen this since you've been there but for me th having this be my first game mm -hmm. there are so many intangibles to the way that he carries himself on the sideline right like marquette goes on a little run all right time out he's not he's not screaming at the guys he's cool calm collected and sure in the huddle he gets a little bit animated but just the composure is fantastic his all business attitude on the post game uh, headset with the guys in the Fox studio, all business, right? Like he wouldn't even smile. And Rob Stone was like, Hey coach, you know, are, 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 are you, you crack a smile? Are you happy about the win? <laughs> First thing he says is now we, we got a, a tough Butler team coming to town. He is all business and I love it. There's no schmoozing. There's no BS narrative. It, it's, we won the game. Great win. Proud of the guys on to Butler. Love it. Um, and the, his coaching style reflects that type of personality. Um, no, go ahead. No, yeah, no, I no, I completely agree. And he's he's right. Like as college basketball teams, they try to end the game really fast, and that's what a three pointer does, right? Like you go on a couple, you hit a couple threes. Even if you're on the road, it silences the crowd. Or if you're at home, it erupts the crowd, right? The problem is. If you're shooting early shot clock threes, you just in early in the game and you're not making them, they just become empty possessions. And we've seen that from the Friars. They take sometimes too many threes. And look, every game, I think in the back of my head, when you and I said in the beginning of the year, we are going to take threes, and you and I personally and everyone else has to get used to it. I'm still yeah. not used to it. I don't know if I'm ever going to be used to it because I'm still sitting on my couch or at the game and I'm watching and I'm like, this is too many threes. It's still, I still think it is. I'm, I, I'm, nothing's going to change. So I have to get used to it, but it's just kind of, it's still taking a little while. And even though I thought they were 34% is a solid number, Marquette was not great from three. They were four for 20 uh, and 32% from the field. So credit to the Friars defense. And uh, Marquette did have a very tough shooting night. Yeah. I, I mean, Marquette couldn't buy a bucket no, during some not. stretches in the second yeah. half. Um, all right, let's get into individual player performances here. I think 
for for this game, we have to talk about Devin Carter. He played like an All-American. Uh, where's the box sheet here? He had 22 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, a steal. He was 5 for 9 from deep and 6 for 10 from the floor. His defensive performance uh, on Tyler Kolick and Cam Jones uh, was spectacular. Um and his ability to get and stay in Tyler Kolek's head was the intangible uh, cherry on top of his night. Um, he played a really, really, really good game, and uh, we needed him. He, he's the reason we won the game. Yeah. Uh, Devin Carter pro- has been our best player this year, right? And I think Josh Doyle's right there. Uh, he was dynamic, like 6 for 10 from the field, 5 for 9 from 3. He rebounded. He passed the ball. Did have four turnovers. We're gonna have. We're gonna. That's Devin Carter, right? Like he's gonna play a little recklessly. Yep. Uh, sometimes it's good. We like him to be aggressive. Sometimes it's bad. And I love discussing like some some negative at part of games when you win by fifteen against the number sixteen in the country, six team in the country. It's a fun thing because you can kind of nitpick and you still won the game, and it's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, but twenty two points. He was a little reckless at times, but I like it to an extent, obviously you don't want to just turn the ball over and give away possessions, but I think that's kind of who he is. Uh, and he's still not a point guard, right? Like I know he's no. playing a little bit of point guard, but he's not a point guard. I'm going to be completely honest with everyone. He, like he's not. And I think he's more of a combo guard. He's kind of a positionless guard, but that's what a combo guard is. But he was great. He was aggressive getting into the lane, his shot from three. And he does take a couple long ones that he probably shouldn't, but I didn't see this development from last year to this year from him becoming a legit three-point shooter. I just never thought that was kind of in this game. He was decent last year. I don't know yeah. the stats off the top of my head right now, but uh, I never thought he would become something that would kind of work. Like last year, he shot 29.9% from three. This year, he's shooting 39.1%. So he's jumped wow. up about 10% from three. And if you're shooting right around 40% from three, you're a legit, legit three-point shooter. It also makes this offense more dynamic because the other – like last year, teams playing against us didn't really have to, I guess, game plan or watch film on Devin Carter shooting from three. This year, you do. And you also still have his ability to get into the lane and finish over defenders. Yeah, uh, the, the three-point shooting is something that – I was uh, cautiously expecting to go up. Um, you know, I, I thought that uh, it was there was going to be a need for it with guys like Bynum and uh, Noah Locke, Alan Breed leaving the program. And with all the uncertainty of the new pieces coming in, I knew that there was going to have to be a need for Carter to improve his three-point shooting. But the volume in which he takes threes was surprising to me. But he's shooting at a near 40% clip, so I'm not. I'm going to keep my mouth shut about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, he is, uh, far and away this team's most valuable player. He's sneaking up on Hopkins in the, the stat rankings right now in points per game and rebounds per game. I'd expect his, uh, stats to continue going up if he keeps playing like this, but he was, uh, phenomenal. Um, he is doing everything this season that we thought Bryce Hopkins would do. Um, that's not a bad thing. That is 100% a good thing because, once Hopkins fully turns it on and is full steam ahead, we're going to have two players just like that. Um, so Devin Carter, you know, player of the game, the, you know, the game revolved around him. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you want to bring up Bryce Hopkins? Cause I feel like we do have to talk about Bryce Hopkins for a bit, right? 
Yeah, we'll talk about Hop. Uh, I I have one thing to say about Bryce Hopkins, and I we know he's a good player. Right? Like it's in him. He's still averaging sixteen a game. I think he's moving, and obviously he didn't help himself. And this is there's no, I don't want to say excuse, but like this is more on him than the actual full of the game. Like five for ten from the free throw line, like that needs to be better because you go eight for ten or seven for ten. You well, it helps you a little, gives you a little bit more confidence, and the whole team as a, as a whole just wasn't good from the line. Seventeen for twenty eight. You left a lot of points out there, but oh yeah, he particularly wasn't. He was the worst free throw shooter on Tuesday night. But I think for Bryce Hopkins, he kind of needs to slow down, right? Like his. I think he's moving too fast out there. Like he's trying to like he's trying to force things. I think he's his he moves faster than what he's supposed to do. It's weird. I'm trying to get at something here, but I'm more like he's just moving too fast for the game speed. I think he's trying to play too fast. I think he's trying to be too aggressive. And I do think he needs, and I've said this a lot of times, become more of an old school kind of player. When he gets down low, puts his head down and drives into the lane and finishes and kind of gets on the block like an Alpha Diallo look or Ronnie Bullock, that's who he fits more of than kind of an outside guy. He becomes a really good player. But when he tries to force outside shots or force jump shots or force threes off the dribble, I just don't think his game is there at the moment, right? Like, And that's an, uh, it's a very unfortunate reality because we know long-term he's thinking NBA, right? And he doesn't him his style of play going down low and playing more of that undersized four kind of doesn't fit the NBA because it, it it's just not how the NBA is and that's unfortunate for his sake. But if you're looking at it for him to kind of get his confidence back and for this team as a whole, he needs to kind of go into that Alpha Diallo role because I I feel like when Alpha Diallo stretched the four too much and tried to force threes or jump shots, he wasn't his himself. But when he got onto the block and worked his body into the lane and finished at the rim. He was a great player for this team. And I think Hopkins is so similar to that, that he needs to kind of go into that role. Yeah, that that's a, a, a really good comparison to Alpha Diallo because we saw a very similar uh, situation unfold when uh, Diallo started taking a look at his draft stock, right? He started taking more threes and mm -hmm. started settling for jumpers. He lost... Uh, or I guess not lost. He moved away from his mid-range game, which was absolutely, uh, you know, unstoppable his sophomore year. Um, he stopped driving to the cup because he wanted to become this versatile uh, forward or small forward in the NBA that could drive to the cup or take threes. And I think we're seeing a similar progression with Hopkins here. Um, does it mean that the struggles are going to last forever? No, it just means that there's uh, a bit of a learning curve and, I, I want to caveat here that even on a night where he was three for 10 from the floor taking and missing four threes and 50% from the stripe, he still had 11 and nine, right? Like he still flirted with a double double, which just shows the raw talent that this kid has. Now we've seen him piece it together. It would be nice to see him piece it together against a power conference opponent, um, which he has yet to do so far this season. But nevertheless, I digress. Um, I think Hopkins didn't have the best game. Uh, he was still an important piece to the game, uh, defensively speaking. Uh, and I'm going to credit Ryan Cassidy on Twitter for this one because Hopkins was great. On-ball coverage was great. Switching co switching coverage was great. Um, he had a really good defensive game, which again ties back into the main theme of the Providence defense is what won the game. The offense was a very nice compliment, and the offense is what got us a 15-point victory, but the defense kept Marquette where they were. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I think we know we know Bryce Hopkins is there, and I think he's a good player, right? We all know that. I do agree. Like I think it's an unfortunate reality for where he is at the point if he's thinking long term, which is NBA at the moment. But if he's thinking he needs to get his confidence back and then work in the three point game, I think that's where he kind of has to go. And I do want to give one thing. I think Josh Adoro needs the ball more. I'm gonna be honest with you, right? Like you won by 15, great. I take him to only taking four shots. Saying it's a problem when you win by 15 is a tough thing to say for me, right? But I do think when every time he touches the ball, he scores. Like 60 to 70% of the time he touches the ball, he scores. I would like the offense to go through him a bit more because yep. I've texted you a couple times and you have agreed. I'm like, Josh Adoran needs the ball more because when he gets the ball, he scores. He was three for four, right? Like, Or he gets fouled and he goes four for six from the line, which is a solid – Solid number at the line. I just think he needs the ball more, and especially when early in the game, right? Like Joe, like early in the game, and you st- we started slow offensive offensively, and we have done that a lot this year. He can kind of carry it while Hopkins, Carter, Pierre, whoever gains is kind of getting their feet under them. Because sometimes a three point shot takes a little while to get going. Adoro can get you those easy baskets. I feel like he needs to touch the ball a little bit more if moving forward in games. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that everything you said is on point, right? Like when he touches the ball, chances are he's going to score. Um, I think to add on top of that, you know, if he gets the ball more often and defenses continue to close in and and collapse multiple guys in on him, he's just going to open up three-point opportunities for the guys on the perimeter. And if they shoot like they shot um, on Tuesday night, you know, that's a recipe for success. Um, all right, but transitioning here from Marquette to Butler, uh, I'll just read through the notable players. Uh, Carter, obviously man of the game, 22 points, eight rebounds, you know, great, great, great defensive performance ticket gains. We haven't even talked about him yet. He joined, uh, Carter with 18 points. He hit five threes as well with one rebound. Hopkins had 11 and 9, Oduro had 10 and 9, and I think really one of the unsung heroes of this game was Garway Dual who had 7 assists. He didn't score, but defensively he was an important piece, uh especially in the backcourt with Cam Jones. I think that, you know, his ability to find guys and dish the rock was really important and his ball handling was really really good. Um the Friars take this one 72-57, beat Marquette by 15 at home. Uh, they improved to 10-2 overall and 1-0 in conference. Quick word from our sponsor. As always, this podcast is brought to you by House Enterprise and in partnership with House of College Hoops. Head over to our site, house-enterprise.com, to get in on the fun. All right. We're kind of going quick here. I have a, a dinner in the city tonight, so um, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to talk about Butler quickly here. Because this is an interesting matchup. Butler was not supposed to be this good. Uh, credit to Thad Mata and the job that he did rebuilding this team in the offseason. Um, Butler comes into this one off of a 10-point victory over Georgetown, 74-64. Butler and Providence are tied for first place in the Big East, both at 1-0 in conference and at 10-2 overall. Uh, this is going to be an interesting one, and I think Kim English feels the same way based on the sentiment that he shared with the Fox broadcasting crew on the call. Yeah, I, this Butler team—I don't know, right? Like they're ten and two, right? And they—they're one and zero in Big East play. They beat Georgetown, who's projected at 
I, and I assume they finish towards the bottom of the Big East. And both are some nice wins. Penn State, who's a fine team, Boise State, Texas Tech. Their two toughest games they lost. Michigan State, they lost by 20, and they lost to FAU by five, right? Like, this team reminds me of kind of where we were going into Big East play, right? Like, loss to a Kansas State team and loss to an Oklahoma team that was better. And you kind of won everything else. You beat a couple solid teams in Wisconsin, who's way more than a solid team. But you beat Georgia, and you beat your like, kind of a similar type of resume, I would say. And then you beat Georgetown, who you're supposed to. And then now you get Butler's first Big East test of the year and their first test in about a month and a half. They're led by Joe. They have four guys right now in double figures. Yep. Uh, Posh, DJ Davis, Jamel Telfer, and Pierre Brooks. They kind of run a four out kind of thing, right? Like DJ Davis and Posh are like your typical guards. Telfort and Brooks are around six five to six seven. So the wings, kind of, yeah, they're wings, but they're not a true power forward. And then they have Andre Screen, who's their seventh footer, who only plays thirteen minutes a game. And then they have Jalen Thomas, who plays twenty minutes a game, and he's at six ten, right? Like so, they kind of rotate those two big men. This is a Josh Adoro game, right? I think this is where. Josh Adoro can come kind of show who he is because he's a better player than Andre Screen. He's a better player than Jalen Thomas. Those are the two guys he's going to be going up against for the most part. This is Butler's first real test since FAU, like a month and a half ago. So I'm excited to see what they kind of what what they look like. I'll be at the game on Saturday. Oh, nice. It, it being a noon start helps Butler, in my opinion. I get it, the travel and kind of stuff, but it might take the crowd a little bit. To get up, but I do think it's going to be a really good crowd because I, I, it's a Saturday at noon. College football is not really on; like you don't really have that in the way. Uh, I guess NFL in the day, but that's later in the day, so it doesn't really matter. But I think it's going to be a good crowd. I think Butler has three or four good players that can score. But if the Friars kind of do their thing, I think they'll be okay. Yeah, I agree with you. I think um, you know you make a good point about Joshua Duro uh, being the better big man than Butler's bigs. Uh, I 100% agree. Right? Um, we saw Supreme Cook from Georgetown have a pretty decent game uh, against Butler, and Supreme Cook is an average, uh, sub-average big in the conference. Um, so I think that kind of you know foreshadows what could happen when uh, a really good big man comes in. And I think Joshua Duro makes the case for the most underrated five in the big East. Um, I certainly think he's better than, you know, the Eric Dixons of the world, but anyway, that's not for this podcast. Um, I think you're right. You know, uh, the, the noon tip on December 23rd, you know, the day before Christmas Eve uh, is extremely advantageous for Butler, uh, especially considering, you know, the, crowd that was just at Providence for an 830 tip. Um, not to mention it's now closer to the holidays. So mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting to see what the building is like. Uh, if I had to guess, it won't be as rowdy as it was for Marquette. I'm hoping that it will be loud and that there will be a, a decent atmosphere. But with it being the holiday weekend, I'm just unsure. Um, but in terms of preparation, I think you know, Kim English was, you know, like I said, all business uh, when he was talking to the Fox guys at the booth. Uh, you know, this is a, 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 an improved Butler team. And, you know, if you beat Marquette, sixth ranked Marquette at home, and that's the first thing that's on your mind, you know damn well that he had his guys prepping hard the past couple of days. So I, I'm not worried from that standpoint. Yeah, and I know we got to get out of here because you got dinner. Nice job scheduling dinner when we're trying to record a podcast. Come on, Joe. Sorry, um, sorry. Messy, but... 
uh, I do think if you think about it like this, right? Like we don't play again until January 3rd, right? Because of holidays. So we play December 23rd. Then we don't play until January 23rd, which is a Wednesday against Seen Hall, which is a good thing, I think, because you can put everything into this game, right? Like there's no looking forward. I guess you can look forward to Seen Hall. That's like two weeks away. I don't know how you'd be looking forward to that at the moment. So, you, And this goes for Baller as well. I, I do think this is a game where everyone's going to give it their all. I do like the Friars in this game. I do think Butler hasn't had a test in the Big East, but obviously it's only been one game, uh, and we don't know who they are, really. Like, it's one of those unknowns just because we didn't know what we expected out of Butler coming into the year, and now they've exceeded expectations, in my opinion. So we'll see where they are, and we'll see where the Friars are again on Saturday. Big East gives you reality checks every time you step onto the court. Yep. And the one th- final thing I want to say before we get out of here, it doesn't matter. Any night in the Big East, you can lose because we saw, we've seen this week, Seen Hall. I tweeted this on Thursday. Seen Hall, massive win against UConn, who was one of the best teams in the country. They beat UConn. They dominated the UConn. Nova, who's been, has beaten some really good teams, and they've lost to some very average teams, a very up and down start to the year, just went into Omaha and beat Creighton, and then Providence beat the sixth-ranked sixth Marquette at home. So the Big East is going to punch you in the mouth every night, so you never know what you're going to get. It's also one of the reasons why this conference is amazing. Yeah, I mean, if you watched the first couple of games of Big East basketball so far and you don't think that this is the best college basketball conference in America, there's really something wrong with you because I, I hate – some of the Roth, the John Rothsteinisms, but expect the unexpected is what you should think when you're watching Piggy's basketball. Um, all right. Providence takes on Butler this Saturday. That's December 23rd at noon. The game's on Fox Sports 1 if you won't be in the building like Peter is. Um, we won't. You won't hear from us next Tuesday because Monday, our, our recording day, is Christmas. So we'd like to wish all of our loyal listeners a very Merry Christmas. Uh, we'll say Happy New Year next week because you'll hear from us before then. But Merry Christmas to everybody. For Peter DiBiase, this is Joe Howie. And as always, go Friars. Go Friars.